0: We're going to get started. Are you ready to get started? Okay. So, we're back for another episode of Establishing Shot. I'm Ted Barron. I'm the executive director at the DeBartolo Performing Arts Center.
1: Hi, Ted. I'm Ricky Herbs. I'm the cinema program director at the Browning Cinema. Hi, Ricky. Hey, how's it going? It's March. It is. Is it coming like a lion or a lamb? I think it's coming out like a – it feels lambish. A little lambish. Well, and now everything's been ruined relatively. For those of you who aren't in the greater Michiana area and experiencing our weather, it's been entirely mild. Yeah. And in the you know 80s and 90s on most days. And so um, – <laughs> We have a, now we have, that it's dipped into the fifties, it feels like it's winter.
0: But we have big penetration in the New York market, where it's been seventy degrees. So I think <laughs> yeah, so I think they understand they understand, they understand. But they understand. They understand. They understand where we're coming. From. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, so we have a lot. So we're going to talk about March, and then we're going to kind of talk about some other things. Mm-hmm. But um, what do we have? So we so in March we have um, a lot of great events coming up, both new films, classic films. Healthy Um, mix. Healthy mix. With spring
1: break. We're even working around spring break, but we're still showing a lot of great stuff. Good. Uh, So coming up this weekend, uh, March 3rd and 4th, uh, we have The Salesman, which comes off of its Oscar win for Best Foreign Language Film. This is Farhadi's new film. Uh, People might know him best from A Separation Mm -hmm. or from Boycotting the Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. And having that kind of political intrigue alongside the movie, which injects it with something else as you're watching it. Um, And it's about a couple who star together in a production, a Tehrani production of Death of a Salesman. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a horrible way to keep your relationship going. Um, And (laughs) things uh, kind of spiral from there. And then also this weekend... Uh, we have, as part of your global cinema class, the Apu Trilogy uh, kicking off uh, Saturday, March 4th at 3 p.m. And then
0: uh, on Sunday, uh, we have. Uh, part- so we, Yeah, we start on Saturday, the Saturday, the 4th uh-huh. at three o'clock. We have Pater Panchali mm-hmm. and then Sunday, the 5th at three o'clock. We show a mm-hmm. and then Wednesday, the what day of the week is that? That's March eighth, Wednesday, March eighth at At eight o'clock. We'll Mm -hmm. show the world of Apu. The only one of the three I've seen. Well, I mean, I think you can, and and you can kind of get by by just having seen that. Mm -hmm. But I would, I, you know, this is being shown in conjunction with the class that I'm teaching, and I made a very heartfelt pitch to the students. To you know do the impractical and go see all three films in the trilogy, because if you do and when you, when you get to the end of that trilogy, it just has a much better payoff i think than um, than if you just have seen the one film, not that the one film on its own isn 't incredibly powerful mm-hmm. um, but uh, there's you know there 's such a degree of investment from uh, Ray in these uh, in this character who develops over the three films. Um, that it's just it's it's really quite remarkable, and this is a new restoration or recent restoration that Janus Films uh, put together. So it's uh, supposedly including footage that's not been seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's going to be you know a way to see this in a way that it hasn't really been experienced before, which is really exciting. Well, that's good.
1: Well, and it's a really sumptuous movie to watch anyway. So yeah, yeah. kind of gilding the lily a little. Yeah, um, that's awesome. Um, so then amidst that uh, with Michael Kackman's uh, that 80s class that we have going on we have a public screening of desperately seeking Susan oh boy. Uh, the mid80s Madge vehicle <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is Tuesday March 7th at 8 pm
0: I'm curious to see how that holds up uh, that was thats that think it's edgy. like a
1: fine wine. yeah I don't <laughs> know <laughs> <laughs> no, I just remember it from
0: when it was when it first came out and it seemed it, it I mean I was I was fairly young when I saw it for the first time and it seemed but it seemed fairly edgy because it kind of gives you a, a glimpse into like uh kind of downtown New York culture that um you know that you wouldn't get access to I think in most mainstream films and to have Madonna situated within that at the peak of her mm-hmm. um well her first peak of popularity I guess uh was kind of an interesting entry to the, to that whole scene
1: This is yeah this is still gritty New York yeah Uh, Yeah, things haven't been
0: pre Bloomberg.
1: Pre pre (laughs) Bloomberg. Pre (laughs) pre pre Giuliani. Pre Giuliani.
0: Yeah, definitely definitely pre
1: Bloomberg. Um, And then heading into uh, spring break here at Notre Dame on Friday, March 10th, 11th, and 12th, uh, or Friday, March 10th, uh, and then running through the weekend till that Sunday, uh, we have 20th Century Women. And because it's break, that will be at 7 p.m., 7 p.m., and 3 p.m. We won't do a full slate. Uh, that's Mike Mills' new film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made beginners. Uh, recently learned, married to Miranda July. That yes. surprised me. Yep. I didn't know that one. Uh, and this is uh, Annette Benning in the late 70s as a single mother, uh, enlisting the people in her apartment complex that she owns to help raise her teenager, set him up straight. And have you
0: seen it yet? I haven't. No, I've read several reviews, which say that she was really robbed out of an Oscar nomination for this. That this is this is one of her best roles. But I'm I'm actually most excited about the the film soundtrack, which is a lot of late '70s, uh, early '80s post-punk. With, there's some Devo and some Talking Heads in there, so music I like.
1: Well, that's really well. That bleeds very nicely into what we're showing the weekend after, mm-hmm. which is Sing Street. Yep. Uh, that's John Carney, uh, who directed Once, um, another musical. And this is a light musical. It's a film about a band, so there's music in it. Um, and it's English New Wave, so anything that was popular in Ireland <laughs> in the mid-'80s uh, comes and goes throughout it. There's Duran Duran.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think there's The Cure. There might be a Devo moment, too. Is there? Oh, I can't uh, But these young high schoolers or junior high whatever age they might be yeah uh kind of suck up whatever music video they see and then turn that turn the band into that
0: yeah people i know who've seen sound. it who are really passionate about it um are really it kind of connects with their nostalgia in a, and not in a kind of mawkish way but in a in a way I think because again it's music that drives them mm-hmm. uh, that that kind of drives the film that um, it connects with a lot of people's you know, people who love the film it's the music they listen to in high school um, so it kind of it really captures that that
1: experience. Uh, it captures kids making movies. That's why I like. it. <laughs> that's all I care about. Um, it actually, it has a very similar vibe to *Son of Rambo*, which I put a a lot of. Yeah, you, I, I that, that's, a, that's a big movie for you.
0: I know that comes know, up as a big I point of I always saw reference. it in the
1: theater. I should see it again and make sure that <laughs> I'm not way off my rocker. <laughs> but it's uh, but you know when you have fourteen year olds, fifteen year olds trying to make movies, yeah. To impress ladies, did you and did you
0: see the school? They're going to be pretty rich. Did you see the Raiders of the Lost Ark
1: documentary? I of course. Okay. shoot, I almost made my own Raiders of the Lost Ark after it. So it is you, is the
0: is the documentary inspiring or is it just the film the film the itself? film itself? Yeah, the yeah. documentary can get out of here.
1: I don't really need that. <laughs> but the film itself is great. It's better than the yeah. original. Yeah. Um. So then, uh, coming off of break, uh, class will be back in session. We have uh, for your global cinema class, yeah, uh, the Palma's um, blowout, blowout, <laughs> um, I and love blowout. why did you why did you end up choosing blowout? Well, what does this mean like in your global cinema class? Why this? Uh, so
0: blowout is we we we're, we're looking at the whole generation of uh, well, not the new American cinema because that's actually more of an indie movement, but the the film school generation. So Scorsese. Copola, um, Spielberg, Lucas, and De Palma, I think, is an interesting figure among them because um, while he has success, I mean, he has a reasonable degree of success. He's he's somewhat he's somewhat of an outsider among them. He's never he's never kind of regarded as the best of the group. Um, but I think Blowout is arguably one of the best films to come out of that uh, that generation. Mm-hmm. I think it's a film that holds up really well. Mm-hmm. Um, Partly because it's a it's a wonderful reflection on reflection on the filmmaking process, uh, but it's also um, a film that really just kind of captures the the anger and the cynicism of the late seventies. I, I always say it's a film that was made too late. It's a film that seems much more kind of seventy eight than it does eighty one, right? Um, because it is it's so post Watergate uh, in terms of the you know the sort of cynicism about institutions and. Um, uh, power structures and, and how and how that kind of works its way into this movie about a sound man who's just trying to find uh, find somebody who can uh, record a good scream. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that in, in play it makes a very clever turn on that. So uh, it's a it's a film that uh, you know when people watch it for the first time, there's often a bit there's often a bit of, re- of resistance because there's a kind of stylized aspect to it.
1: Um, (laughs) You think? Well, I mean, just in terms of, but like,
0: especially, I mean, the style, I mean, there's the visual stylization, which is very obvious. But then there's things like Nancy Allen's performance, which, you know, she's kind of playing this type, this this film character type, which is almost like a, you know, a mall from the 40s. And people don't Mm -hmm. get it when you put that in the early 80s. And so Mm -hmm. um, they just assume she's acting badly as opposed to acting a type. uh, So that can be a point of resistance, but. I think it's. I think it's very rewarding. John Travolta, who I'm not a big fan of, I think he, he, it's his best performance by far in any film that he's ever made. So
1: I think that phenomenon. Yep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Michael.
1: Michael. <laughs> uh, that like right after Pulp Fiction, his like prestige grab. Oh yeah, was really. <laughs> That's a pretty dark period. That's pretty low. <laughs> um, so then. Um, Off of that, on that Thursday, we're showing The Music of Strangers, which is a documentary about Yo-Yo Ma and the Silk Road Ensemble, and that's Yo-Yo Ma's efforts to highlight both um, lesser-known musicians, virtuosos, um, and lesser-known instruments, Mm -hmm. and uh, we're screening that because over the weekend, we have one of the musicians who's featured in the documentary
0: performing at... The DeBartolo Performing Arts Center, right? Wuma and she's performing with um, Kronos Quartet, um, and I've I've seen this film, and it's a nice. I mean, it's fairly straightforward, conventional. It's I think it was made for HBO, so it has a kind of. It, it's very accessible in the way that it opens up the story of these different uh, musicians who perform regularly with Yo-Yo Ma as part of the Silk Road Ensemble. Um, so, I think it does a nice job of kind of intri- as, as a kind of introductory work to if, if you're interested in world music and kind of some of the different facets of it. Um, but Wuman's a really fascinating figure, and you know, we're lucky that she's coming. Yeah, She'll be great. here.
1: Have you seen the poster yet for it? Uh, no. Kevin and I were marveling at it. It's a good one. Okay. Um, it's kind of like that lo and behold. Poster, oh, with like the only with exploding head. Mm-hmm. It's good. <laughs> um, and then that weekend, uh, we have a run of The Red Turtle, yep. which is uh Miyazaki-esque film. Mm-hmm. He actually didn't direct this one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Belgian a, director, right? Um, Dutch. Dutch-British combo, okay. I think, um, or Belgian-British combo. Okay. But he worked with uh, Studio Ghibli yep. um, to... Uh, to to bring this film together,
0: it's considered a Japanese production, right? But it's of but I think with, so. With, yeah. um,
1: really I out. think part of the reason why there isn't uh, a nation attached to it so quickly is because there's no dialogue, there's no <laughs> language in it, um, and so if it were in Japanese, you'd say, oh, that's a Japanese movie, or yeah. the Dutch, or whatnot. Uh, and that is, uh, we have a big full run of that uh, March twenty fourth through the twenty sixth. That 26, uh, that 3 p.m. screening we have will be a sensory-friendly screening. Um, We're doing that in conjunction with uh, the uh, Notre Dame student government as well as the logan center Mm -hmm. and so the lights don't go down as low the volume's a little bit less and we avoid things like popcorn that have sharp smells
0: so so if so if you have so if if someone in your family is on the spectrum on the autism spectrum this is a great way to bring them into the cinema because Mm this will be a screening that's very mindful of kind of the experiences that that people on the spectrum Mm -hmm. might prefer to our standard film experiences
1: And then uh, finishing out March, uh, last week of March, uh, on Wednesday, March 29th, we have Ken Loach's Raining Stones, Mm -hmm. which is right between, I think, Riff Raff and Ladybird. Ladybird. I haven't seen it. You love it. I love it. You picked it. I love it. It's about a
0: dad uh, whose daughter wants a really expensive uh, First Communion dress. And so he has to take a series of odd jobs to try to raise extra money. For the dress, um, but of course that doesn't work out so well. So he has to get in with some loan sharks, and uh, and it gets into. I think I think it's um, one of the most endearing of of Ken Loach's works. His his films can at times be you know a bit heavy handed in the way that they mm-hmm. kind yeah, of you know, sort of <laughs> present the plight of the working class. But I I still I, I think I mean I'm a fan of his even when he when he you know goes a little bit too far. Even
1: when it's a first communion dress at the <laughs> I mean, well, that's... I mean that's yeah, it's a pretty. But I but I
0: actually think he's Strikes the, right, uh, the right the right tonal balance in this that, that maybe he doesn't get to in the other films where there's a kind of meandering documentary feel in a lot of it, but at the same time it's very purposeful and very much about elevating these you know kind of working class subjects who normally would be disregarded in most in most films. So um, I think it works incredibly well in that regard. And
1: then we follow that up the next night mm-hmm. uh, with uh, a co presentation that we're doing with the Nanovic Institute here at Notre Dame. And that's of Tony Erdman, mm-hmm. uh, or Tony Erdman, if you're from Northwest Iowa. Um, and that uh, that was actually the favorite uh, to win best foreign language film, mm-hmm. and was number one in a lot of meta polls, films to see of the year. Um, film comments
0: poll was film comment idea? number
1: one. Yeah, and uh, is uh, and is unique in that it is a comedy. <laughs> Uh, out of Germany, and also a long one. I mean, it's it's, it's long over and it, two and a half
0: hours. And I think it also has some some interesting kind of social context where it's it's set in Romania, and and for a lot of the film, you kind of see people living um, a kind of within a society that seems that that's not quite what you would expect in a representation of of Budapest. People um, people are fairly wealthy. They're um, you know they're they're a lot of scenes set in nice restaurants or in uh, corporate boardrooms and. And the like, Um, but then there's moments where where it kind of breaks away from that to give you glimpses of what Budapest really looks like. Um, So there is amidst this incredible economic growth within the city, you see these shanty towns kind of right in the middle of the city center. So it 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 manages to work that those moments in in really effective ways.
1: I wonder, given that it's now set for an American remake, yeah, with Jack Nicholson and Kristen Wiig, do they play the Right, right. That's the idea. the idea. That's what I've heard. I wonder if it will be <laughs> said, it. if it will be something where like they're New Yorkers, but then but like, where would
0: where would be the shanty in New York? I mean, it's well, like, I mean, everything's if been they go to out. like
1: West Virginia because I think she works for an oil company, right? And, uh yeah. Uh, so I like, think so. Yeah. They'll make it coal and they'll send her to yeah West Virginia or something. yeah or
0: just I mean you know it's it's
1: or Canada. Well, do we
0: have an American analog in terms of a city where you know there is this incredible growth, but yet there's Our still Bucharest, people, Jeez. yeah. I don't know, but that's just it's be, Bucharest. Sorry. Thank you. You were correct.
1: That's, uh, that should be, uh, someone's,
0: we'll find out Bucharest's sister city. Okay. My apologies to the people of Bucharest for calling you Budapest. Uh,
1: I, I, it happens a lot. Yeah. And when you, um, do make the mistake to a yeah. Romanian, they'll let you know. <laughs>
0: I'm sure they will.
1: <laughs> uh, and then uh, the last film, and we're cheating a little bit because it's sliding into April. Yeah. We have coming up is Silence. Uh, that's March 31st, April 1st. And Sunday, April 2nd, that Sunday matinee, we'll have a panel discussion with some uh, experts on the Jesuits and uh, Japanese literature as well. And they're there because silence is about a um, two Portuguese Jesuits who go to Japan after learning that their mentor has potentially renounced the church and they want to get at the core of what's going on. Uh, so this is, I
0: would say, far and away, number one requested film of this semester. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're associated with the University of Notre Dame and you have not yet emailed or called Ricky or me about this film, <laughs> then you are, in a, you are in a very small minority. Because right? we are – yeah, this is going to sell out. So if you're interested in seeing this film, get your tickets had uh, a really as soon as you hear run, this podcast. Had a weird run in town
1: too. Because it was, yeah, it was on at like 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. and nowhere in between.
0: It was so. like they totally dissed it. I mean, like they just, you know, <laughs> there was no regard that the, that it could have any kind of audience. And, and it was, you know, it's based on these metrics of, you know, how does it perform on a in a big city, and then our our smaller market of, of Greater South Bend. They, you know, they kind of adjust screening times based on that. But I think it also had the kind of impractical quality in that it's two hours and forty five minutes long, so they couldn't just. Um, you know, they couldn't do, like, a two-screening-per-day run like they would do for something that hadn't necessarily performed well in other cities. But here, it's going to be huge. Yeah, I think it's
1: gangbusters for mm. for Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, so that's what we're looking at in March. That's a busy month. It's busy. Well, and it's, it's – like good. I said, we even are light because of break. Yeah. Um, so uh, – and then stuff. Um, the other thing that we didn't get a chance to talk about before is mm-hmm. you have been – Traveling the world in search of great
0: movies, correct? Uh, I try. <laughs> and where were you most recently? I, I went to the Berlin Film Festival for the first time, which was which was really great. Um, I've never been before. I've always heard it's a wonderful festival um, to attend. It's huge. I mean, in terms of the number of films that are screened, um, it really you really have a lot to choose from uh, in terms of what they present um is it run very efficiently is it? <laughs> of course it is but but it actually it's run you know I, it took me it took me a day or two to figure out how it was run and once i figured it out i said oh okay th- this is this is very systematic and this makes a lot of sense but <laughs> but it wasn't intuitive i would say mm-hmm. uh to get there and actually talked to a couple of people who i know who were at the festival who said oh you should have called me beforehand because i would have explained all of that to you in terms of the process of getting tickets for screenings and Mm-hmm. Um, how that all works but
1: and you went to Munich this last year for their yeah. film festival. what was Berlin but is it just like the Munich is Munich a JV version of Berlin or is are there differences do they have different um, fo- yeah I
0: mean Munich is mostly showing I, I would I would guess that most of Munich's lineup already screened in Berlin um, and Munich even was showing things that were already uh, were already screened you know, in the U.S. Uh, well, but that but that can vary because Berlin had a couple of things that had that had already had U.S. premieres. Um, I'm trying to think of oh, I am not your Negro, for example, which, which we mm. showed last month. That was that was part of Berlin's lineup this year. That's
1: interesting because they showed uh, Raul Peck's other one, right? The uh, his the new film, film about
0: Karl Marx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did show that. So he had a too for. Yeah, okay. yeah, he, yeah, he's you know he had good representation there. Um, so, so it, you know, what I liked about it is I felt – unlike going to other festivals, I mean Toronto is my big point of comparison because Toronto is just huge and you get to see so many things. Um, but you often go into Toronto with a very – or at least I typically go into Toronto with a kind of – with a clear roadmap Of I need to see the works by a certain set of auteurs or a certain set of films that have already started to generate buzz, and that's actually a criticism of Toronto is that it's been drawing too heavily on films that have been that have already had made a splash in festivals Uh, like Rich Get Richer. Well, yeah, especially because Khan seems to be taking a bit of the wind out of the sails of Toronto, at least for some of the bigger titles. Now that's Toronto's again; it's huge, so you get to see everything. Um, But what's uh, what Berlin? For me, what the experience for me was in Berlin was an opportunity to go to a festival where um, I didn't have as much kind of. Well, first of all, I didn't have as much time to prepare going beforehand <laughs> to read up on what was screening there. So I was discovering things along the way. But even if I had, I think it would have been more of a process of discovery, and that kind of opens up some some really interesting new experiences. The only thing that I was that I was dead set on going to see prior to the festival was. Um, the premiere of a restored version of uh, Rainer Werner Fassbinder's uh, early 70s uh, TV miniseries mm-hmm. uh, titled Eight Hours Don't Make a Day, uh, which, <laughs> <laughs> which was a surprising – you know, for, for people who know Fossbinder's work, uh, he can be a little heavy uh, and – <laughs> <laughs> little, some, some melodrama a little bit of melodrama um this was surprisingly light this was surprisingly um optimistic um it's a it's a hmm. you know it's a film about the workplace specifically about um workers in a factory and kind of follows their day to day life um but it 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 actually uh, suggests a lot of possibility and hope and actually a a kind of um productive relationship between um, the workers in management um you know when when sort of crises come up about you know who might be appointed foreman within the company or uh or within the factory or um when they they make a decision to- pr- to potentially move the factory, the workers actually have a lot of agency and and mm-hmm. have a very it, it again it seems like it 's just a really kind of interesting productive relationship i 've pitched this to our uh, friends at the labor studies program that this is a series that they should look at and maybe we should to present at some point. But hmm. so that, how, long, how long is it all told? Uh it's about seven and a half hours, I think. Uh, uh five episodes that are about ninety minutes each. Mm-hmm. Um so um I loved it. Um it's uh you know that was the that was the that was the one thing I, I was dead set on uh going to see while I was there. But but in terms of most of the other films, um there were films that again I hadn't read too much about so I could really come at them with an open mind. I didn't have the this is the buzz you know, this this film has buzz, so you should see it to determine whether the buzz is worthwhile or not.
1: Um, so then the the buzz coming out of it, did you get to see the on body and soul? Was that the, the, the was Hungarian that the, movie that won the Golden Medal? No, Bear? I
0: didn't. Um uh I, you know, because I <laughs> my lineup was compromised because I was spending seven hours watching Fassbinder's series. But uh no, I there were several films that I didn't get to see. I also they you know, there there were several films I, I came I went for the first part of the festival, so there were several films that screened toward the end of the week. Mm. Um mm-hmm. and that was one of them. But I, I and I didn't really hear much about that um in terms of just discussions with people of oh, this is something you know you should look out for. Um, so the fact that that one, um, you know, was somewhat surprising, but at the same time, you know, I don't know how tuned in I was to to what films people were really getting excited about. Um, it was, a, it was an interesting year for it in terms of, uh, you know, the, the mix of documentary film and feature films. There's a great film, um, which, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the title of it, but it's directed by Walter Salas, brother. Uh <laughs> Walter Salas, most people know the Brazilian filmmaker who did Motorcycle Diaries um, and uh, uh, Central Station, Mm -hmm. uh, made a film about uh, 1968. Uh, which is going to be a big topic, certainly here on campus. In France?
1: Like May 1968
0: in well, France or just generally? Well, so this is the thing, is that, you know, there's so much to 68, you know, in terms of uh, all of the different, you know, uprisings and movements that, that emerge in in, the, in 68. Is 68 defined by May 68 in France? Is it defined by all of the things that happened in the U.S. with Kennedy, uh, Robert Kennedy's assassination mm-hmm. and Luther King and, and the, um, the Democratic Convention in Chicago um, what uh, Salas chose to do, uh, and it's I believe it's Joao Salas. Um, he focuses he t- he focuses on three movements. One is the May '68 um, student uh, protests in Paris. Um, the second is uh, the invasion of Prague by the Soviets. The 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 uprisings mm-hmm. in Prague and the Soviets uh, the Soviet response to that, and then. Um, he he also goes to, is it Rio or um, Sao Paulo? That I think it's I, I think I think it might be in Rio. It's somewhere in Brazil where there were also a series of uh, protests, um, largely sparked by the death of a worker um, who was working under kind of severe conditions. So um, he ties those three event, those three events together, and, and he was there for the Q and A about the film to talk about you know how do you cover a topic as broad as 1968 and do it effectively. And I thought, I thought this film in terms of its archival footage is just really remarkable. What it has of, kind of direct documentation of that period. It's a film to look out for
1: anything else. That was a particular hit for you. Um, did, you, did you see the new Aki Kurosaki movie? I did see that. Is that um, better than Le
0: Havre? How do you say Lahavra? I say Lahavra, but, huh. uh, but which again, I didn't like but at I've, all. But I also, you know, called Bucharest Budapest, so I could be wrong. <laughs> but um, I actually no, I like I, I like this film. Um, I, it's about you know it, it's but it seems it's kind it's of familiar the same territory. story, isn't it? It's a similar story to uh, you know where you have a kind of crusty old Finnish guy who opens up this terrible restaurant, and he his story coincides with. Uh, or it sort of intersects with the story of a Syrian uh, uh, emigre uh, who's trying to bring his sister over from Syria to Finland. Um, and he ends up becoming a he ends up going to work for this guy's restaurant. So it has a kind of, you know, even though it's very it has, you know this heavy content about being a direct reflection of what's going on in terms of the refugee crisis with Syria. Um, it's also Karismmakki, so it's absurdist. It's, you know, kind of deadpan humor. It has, you know, the cowboy, the is it the Leningrad Cowboys? Uh, I was gonna say, is there music? There's music. The in The band it, uh, comes in. And yeah, performs? there's a band that comes there's in. Always a of, band. Yep, yep. So there are some great, great little, you know, kind of retro country uh, songs played in the film. Um, but you know, it hasn't? I think it strikes a nice tone. That was that. Did he? He won best director. I think so. Yep. Yeah, I think that was his. So that was that's definitely worth seeing. Um, a film that's going to get a lot of attention, I think, over the summer is a film called Call Me by Your Name. Um, which is uh, Luca uh, Guadagrino. Guaragino, yeah, yeah. Guaragino. He Sorry, directed, Luca. Yeah, I know. Uh, we we got to get our pronunciations down. So he directed um, uh, "I Am Love" and um, "A Bigger Splash," mm-hmm. um, and this is a, a lo- this is a kind of uh, love story um, between a seventeen-year-old boy who's uh, ha- at a country estate in Italy with his parents. Uh, his dad is in. I think he's an archaeology professor, and his dad has hired a graduate student played by Army Hammer uh, to stay with them for the summer to work on a research project. And uh, the grad student and the teenager fall in love, and uh, but it, but it does it in a way that's very subtle um, and, and not immediately apparent in terms of how their relationship develops. But it has a kind of real charm to it in terms of the way it kind of captures first love in a very Uh, kind of sensuous way it's you know it's in it's in in, it's at an italian villa in the summer so it's beautiful it's you know it's beautifully photographed um but also i think kind of captures sort of the smaller moments and in like a teenager's mindset so i think it's it's a film that i that i think will get a lot of positive attention as you know something that's you know very it's just it's very moving whether you know you sort of there are some flaws with it i've talked i talked to a couple of people about it it's a film that probably has you know one too many endings to it among other things in terms of its structure but the kind of emotional content of it is pretty pretty overwhelming great um any other notes from the festival that we should take away from us did you see the dinner the Dinner no but that was you see this was what was strange about Berlin is that you know so The Dinner is a new film by Oren Moverman um, who did The Messenger Do you know Kate Blanchett was supposed to direct it Was she really Yeah oh. then he got attached to it OK. Yeah. Well, it seems like the, well, the reviews were very mixed, but it, it seemed like that was kind of the prestige celebrity film, you know, in terms yeah. of like the red carpet film because Richard Gere is in it. And, and you know, I mean, that's fine. Like, you know, Richard Gere, it's not anything against Richard Gere, but he's not, you know, this isn't 1980. This is not this isn't like, yeah. you know, uh, what was the, the American gigolo time? Um, this is, you know, he's at a he's at a different stage in his career that. Um, but but uh that was that that got that seemed to get a lot of attention just for its star uh power, <laughs> which I thought was kind of strange, but because the reviews were fairly mixed
1: yeah yeah well, so, and that, I think that was like the only American movie yeah screened
0: in competition, so you know this the thing that came out to me in going to the festival this year, and this is something that i that I think about is um I really love. <laughs> when these festivals have really strong retrospective programs, and that's one of the things that stood out about Berlin is that they had, they had a couple of different um, uh, kind of sidebars, although I wouldn't even call them sidebars because I think for most people experiencing the festival, they were pretty central to the festival experience, but they had a program about um, science fiction um, where they showed films like, I mean, Blade Runner was kind of the, the probably the most familiar film. I saw... Was the, it dubbed in German? I don't. Know. I could see that being
1: kind of amazing. <laughs> that would
0: be. That would be fun. I'd watch that. That would be fun. Um, but I saw a crazy film uh, from German – a silent film from the 20s. Uh, it's titled uh, Algol. and it's about. It's. It was fascinating because it was about. Uh, it stars Emil Jannings, who's kind of if you know silent film. He's you know he's in the Last Laugh. He's in the Last Command. Um, He's also in the blue angel, I think is probably okay. maybe what most people know him for. He plays the teacher um, and he plays he's like the artist right the yeah, he's similar because he was he had a very thick German accent so he he didn't make the transition to the sound art or... he also liked Hitler a little bit too much Ooh. so that was kind of a problem Ooh. but that's another issue um, but he um he plays a coal worker um in this in this village who through some magical occurrence meets this uh, kind of mystical figure who I think is some sort of representation of Satan, uh, who hmm. gives him access to a is machine. Is it a Faust? Is it a Faust? Kind of, kind okay. of. He, he, um, he gives him this machine that gives him the power to harness solar energy and so he's able to take over the world because he can control all of the world's energy sources now, which are now – which are completely solar. So solar energy is tied to this kind of evil enterprise, <laughs> which which kind of undoes the earnest coal workers in this small village and oh. kind of sets up. And then it sets up this whole kind of power struggle where, you know, his son is, uh, you know, this greedy uh, kind of aspir- – you know, greedy, greedy and aspiring to kind of take over his company and – uh, things kind of fall apart, but it has just a really kind of wacky tone to it, um, which you know is it's twenties nineteen German sci-fi. So, you know, I don't know what we would what else we would expect, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it really uh, there there are just some it, you know it was great to see some things that just kind of uh, you know gave you access to thinking about sci-fi in a very different way. So well, very uh, cool. So that's so that's the thing about the festival is that like, you know is it is it a better showcase for you know, rediscoveries or, or is it, you know, should it be about um, kind of more focused on just discovering new work? And I find myself, and maybe this is just as I get older and kind of more conservative in my strategies of how to tackle these kind of festival experiences. um, I find myself more interested in, in seeing those things that I might've missed um, and kind of filling in those gaps of film history rather than trying to pick up on, you know, a new film that might have, you know, really strong word of mouth. So mm-hmm. which I you know, I feel like I can get access to another. I
1: mean, if you're gonna slap yourself all the way over to Germany, you probably want a known quantity too. Like, oh, this will be right. This will be good as right. opposed to something that could be screening for the first time. Yeah. And then you're watching like the brown bunny or whatever. Right. Well
0: I mean and you think about I, I mean I just think about uh film programmers who I know and, and many of the best programmers are the ones who, who, you know, they make it a priority to go to places like Bologna which is a festival of uh, – it's largely archival work. I mean, it's mostly archival work that's being presented. It's not a festival for new films. Um, so to look at kind of what uh, major archives have been working on as restoration pieces and to find ways to present those. So, um, you know, there's 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 a lot of different uh, strategies to take, but it's a question of, like, you know, what's the most valuable way to experience a festival? Mm-hmm. And I think it varies. I mean, it depends on, you know, what you're, what you're looking for out of that. I think – what you know, what most people think about uh when it comes to film festivals is they think about they think about Richard Gere on the red carpet. Maybe not Richard Gere, but they think about they think about the red car they think about the sort of splashy premieres and you know, the first question I get asked when I come back from a film festival is, Oh, what celebrities did you see? And it's you know, that's that's nice that people want want to know that, but it's not really I don't really seek that seek out those kinds of experiences right. in festivals. Well so, good stuff. Yeah. So um, but we got to get you to some festivals this year, so we'll. Well,
1: well Ann Arbor is this month, which is historically a really important one for experimental
0: film. Yep, it's a that's a great way to see some alternative work. They usually have some great documentary mm-hmm. uh, pieces there. Um, uh, J, I saw a great film by J.P. Sneideke there a couple of years ago, which he actually had a new film in uh, Berlin. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also, I think, one of the strengths of, of Ann Arbor is that it does strike a nice balance between. Um, you know, retrospective work and contemporary work. So mm-hmm. you can kind of get a little bit of everything there.
1: So we'll do – well, I'll cut my teeth there. Yeah. See, how see what I out. can, sh- you, know, you know, club over the head and bring back to to South Bend. And, uh, well, I mean, we're going to be – there's a lot of shorts. So. Yes. Yeah.
0: And that's – and I think those actually open up some interesting opportunities because those shorts, you know, finding ways to position those with some of our feature presentations mm-hmm. in ways that maybe we haven't thought about. So. sounds
1: good you will see so that's what we have coming up this March and um, anything else before we close the the balcony no
0: <laughs> until uh, April until the balcony closed <laughs> that's that's been trademarked by a couple of other guys um, the, the uh, Irish balcony the Irish balcony it's, it's we're not... trademarking that right now okay. Uh no, we I have but we will be back in April to talk about um some new films, some some more events that we have coming up as we kind of get to the close of our yeah. semester and
1: we have a purple rain combo oh, yeah. in April. That'll oh, be that's, fun.
0: That's a nice tease.
1: But if you like that? There we go. We'll we'll talk about that next month. Great. Okay, well thanks a lot, Ted. Thank you, Ricky.